This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. He is calling it Our Generation's National Project. Yesterday, Dr. Eric Hoskins unveiled his long-awaited blueprint for a national single-payer system to cover prescription drugs. Canada is the only country with universal health care that doesn't also cover prescription medications. Excuse me. And that's one of the reasons Canadians pay the third highest per capita drug costs among developed countries. It's also one of the reasons that 20% of Canadians, one in five, don't fill their prescriptions or fail to take them as prescribed. Now, while older Canadians are generally covered by a patchwork of provincial programs, studies have shown that it is those in the 55 to 64 age bracket without employer coverage that are most at risk. So should we undertake a program that will end up costing $15 billion a year to cover them? Or should we just try to put in place something that fills the gaps? It's not exactly clear what part of this report will be adopted by the various parties, but it is sure to be an election issue. And we will be taking calls in just a few minutes. The number is 416-360-0740. Toll-free, 1-866-744-740. And now let's go to the author of the report, Dr. Eric Hoskins. Welcome. Hi, Libby. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on to talk about it. Now, you talk to an awful lot of people and organizations for this. In your opinion, what is the worst consequence of having the kind of patchwork provincial programs that we now have? Well, you know, I would say the worst outcome is at the individual level and the family level, where, as you mentioned, uh, about 7.5 million Canadians struggle to afford the medicines that are prescribed to them by their physician or nurse practitioner. Um, And we find even about a million Canadians have to cut back on food and heating in order to pay for their medicines. So it's a real problem that, of course, when people don't take their medicines at all or take them improperly, it leads to poor health outcomes. And so we see that, um, and we also see if we can improve access, uh, especially now where drugs uh, show so much promise, uh, not just for life-saving drugs or for infections, for example, but for people with chronic illnesses, which obviously really affects people like ourselves um, and older persons, um, people with diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease, where uh, there are remarkable drugs out there that can change a person's um, ability to either continue working or live in their communities, be um, contributing members to the communities. So it's it's really an important issue. And we, as you mentioned, we talked to thousands of people across the country over the course of the last year. And if there was one message they gave to us, and it was without exception, is their strong belief that access to medicines should be based on need and not ability to pay. Well, this, of course, would be a universal system, so people would have access to it, you know, whether they could afford it or not. That's right. And so what we were proposing is 
um, called Universal Single Payer Public National Pharmacare. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it essentially would treat prescription drugs the same way that we approach other parts of our universal healthcare system, access to hospitals and emergency rooms, access to family doctors and specialists. Uh, and by doing that, we uh, not only sort of um, reinforce those important principles of the Canada Health Act and of universal healthcare and Medicare, um, but we dramatically improve access for all Canadians of all ages. You've seen some pretty startling examples of, of the results that, you know, for instance, not every drug is either approved or paid for in every province of people moving to get drug coverage. Yeah, I mean, a, a great example I think that your listeners will can appreciate is if you live in Ontario or anywhere east of Ontario, uh, your oral cancer drugs, yeah. sort of take-home or out-of-hospital oral cancer drugs, are not covered under any provincial plan. Um, whereas if you live west of Ontario, all of those provinces do cover oral or take-home cancer drugs and then the other medicines that go along with that. So the discrepancies uh, and inequities and differences that exist across the country are enormous. We met families who were literally picking up and moving to from one province to another one across the country for the sole reason that the medicine that might save the life of their child wasn't available in their home province, but was available in the other one. And we also mentioned many people who, quite frankly, we, we met people who really hated their job, but were kind of locked into it and afraid to look for other employment because they were afraid of losing the drug benefits that they were getting at their current job. So those kinds of real examples, let alone, you know, uh, seniors, for example, or the age group that you mentioned, sort of 55 to 64, that um, either don't have insurance or people often when they retire, they lose all or a good part of their drug insurance that they might have had through employment. Um, and and you mentioned at the very beginning of the show where seniors um, maybe are a little bit better off, but it varies remarkably across the country where there are seniors in some provinces that, who face enormous costs for the most basic drugs. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's also the issue that that pooling the buying could save us a lot of money. You've put that at $5 billion a year. How, how did you come up with that number? Well, that was one of the important reasons why ultimately we landed or decided upon uh, universal single-payer public, which I should also mention that CARP has endorsed that model as well, yep. uh, treating it like the other parts of universal health care. Um, and so um, one of the big advantages is that I mean, currently there are over 100,000 different public and private drug plans across the country, all of them different all of them sort of negotiating in different ways or separately with drug manufacturers. Um, and if we can bring them all together into a single resource where you have, we call for the creation of a Canadian drug agency, where this agency then on behalf of all Canadians negotiates um, with, on their behalf with, with enormous clout with drug manufacturers to get the lowest possible price. And so by doing that, and other measures, we believe that in its first year of implementation, the National Pharmacare would save uh, $5 billion, and that would only grow year after year. But even more, um, you know, that's a big number, but sort of at a macro point sense, 
But when you look at it at the level of individual households and families, we estimate through this model, once it's implemented, that families will save on average $350 a year in what they're currently spending on drugs, so the savings of $350. And employers will save about $750 per employee. And on the employer side, that gives them the opportunity to raise salaries or reinvest it in different ways and other health benefits like vision or dental, for example. So there are a lot of benefits to doing this. And then, of course, by having people healthier, you avoid them going into the healthcare system. So we had a study for us that looked just at, at heart disease, respiratory illness, and diabetes. And through our plan of, of, of single-payer public, they estimate that the healthcare system would save more than a billion dollars a year just on those three illnesses alone because people wouldn't need to go to emergency rooms as often. They wouldn't be admitted to hospitals that often, as often. So there are both direct and indirect savings, as well as savings to families. What are the difficulties of uniting these provincial patchwork systems? And also, I'm curious, you know, we have a number of conservative premiers who are not really on board with the idea of universal pharmacare. Could they launch some kind of jurisdictional challenge uh, or like we're seeing against the carbon tax? Well, you know, first of all, we um, we had great engagement from every single province and territory over the last year. Uh, I mean, really enthusiastic involvement and um, and and a, a realization, and maybe that involvement is partly because of the realization by all provinces and territories that they're really struggling to pay for the increased cost of drugs. Um, so we engaged collaboratively, very very closely with provinces and territories, um, and so. Um, the second important point is that we've recommended this be, and I think it needs to be, like Medicare was, an opt-in program. So uh, provinces and territories have jurisdictional responsibility, constitutional responsibility for delivering prescription drugs to their populations. So we worked hard to, we listened to them, first of all, and worked hard to create a model that we believe will be attractive to them and to their residents. And also importantly, because we um, looked at the cost of pharmacare and recommend that, that there be a cost-sharing mechanism, but the provinces really are already paying, and so we've recommended that the federal government pay those additional costs of expanding access. Okay, and, and has there been a, a read from those provinces on what they think? Well, you know, some provinces like British Columbia have uh, their health minister, Adrian Dix, commented uh, yesterday uh, in support of uh, National Pharmacare. Um, others, like Saskatchewan, have said they're going to wait and see uh, what the response of the federal government is. Um, and I think that that's appropriate. Um, I think we've got a tremendous opportunity. We know that, uh, apart from the Liberal government, the NDP have also put Pharmacare, National Pharmacare, the same model, um, as one of the main planks in their election platform. So I think it's pretty well guaranteed that National Pharmacare will be part of the debate in the upcoming election, so which is important because it gives Canadians a real opportunity to um, to be part of that discussion and to hear from all parties and make up their own mind. Uh, so I think the timing is really fortuitous, um, but I have to say, you know, everyone we spoke to acknowledged that we need to do more and better, and if we don't, the status quo is just it's becoming less and less sustainable. 
We pay the third highest drug cost in the world up in the United States and in Switzerland. Uh, and costs of drugs are going up by about 6.5% per year. And there's a danger that those those people we were talking about, you know, the one in five that don't take their medicines properly, that that number, that, that number in fact, could grow. Your uh, pooch agrees. Your pooch agrees there, Dr. Hoskins. Um, So uh, what do you say to critics, though, who say, well, uh, if it's implemented by a liberal government, and I know you're not exactly part of this government, unlikely that we will save money and that rather than helping out employers, we should just fill the gaps on this? Well, you know, that it's it's interesting. You know, um, that was the argument back in the 1960s after the Hall Commission, when Emmett Hall, the Supreme Court Justice, later Supreme Court Justice, um, recommended National Pharmacare along with other parts of Medicare. There were those then that said we should just fill the gaps and we should focus on those that who don't have insurance or can't afford it. This was, at that time, we already had hospital insurance, but this was for access to doctors. Um, had we heeded that advice of fill the gaps in the 1960s, we would have American-style private health care in Canada. Instead, we've got you know, one of the proudest things, social programs that Canada has ever created uh, that people value very much, our universal health care system. The problem with fill the gaps for drugs is that it's extremely difficult to identify where those gaps are because it's not just the 5% who have no insurance whatsoever. It's roughly 7.5 million Canadians or 20% who struggle to pay for their drugs. The majority of people that can't afford the drugs, in fact, have some degree of public or even private insurance, but it's inadequate and it's eroding even more in terms of the level of coverage. So um, it's hard to identify the, who, where those gaps are. And the problem is you just then you, you build into, you sort of put a Band-Aid, if you will, on a flawed system. A system like in Canada, our mixed public-private approach to drug programs is unique in the world. It's an anomaly. There's no other country in the world that approaches it this way. Um, uh, and we looked at many pure countries that approach it in the way that we're advocating that uh, universal single-payer public. And the last thing with the problem with fill the gaps is you don't get the advantage of bulk purchasing, right? You still have 100,000-plus different plans, public and private. You need to come together as a sole group through a, a, a sole mechanism where you've got maximum clout to negotiate with manufacturers to get the lowest possible price. A final question. Uh, you know, if we bring this in, initially it's going to cover the most common drugs. I get that. But uh, how do we increase it? Say you mentioned the the issue of, of the cancer drugs, uh, which is, in my opinion is crazy, not covering take-home chemotherapy, but that's covered under a dis- different system. Early on, you mentioned drugs uh, like biologics for rheumatoid arthritis. They cost a fortune. I'm not sure that we can afford them in the public system. So if people need things beyond you know, uh, the most common drugs, are we going to be able to afford that? Yes. Well, you know, we're already paying for them. So, uh, you know, there's a biologic that is on the market in Canada available through public drug programs, which costs Canadians more than a billion dollars last year. Um, so there are many biologics that are on public formularies now. And so the way we would do it, so we're proposing to start with essential medicines, which cover most of the uh, illnesses that Canadians would confront. It represents about half of all prescriptions in Canada. Um, start with that. 
because for a couple of reasons. I mean, this, we're a federation, so we need to make sure we get this right with all provinces and territories. We need to build that list. We need to pass legislation. Um, so start with essential meds, cover about half the prescriptions. Uh, that, But the rest of the system is still there, right? So people are getting the medicines that they're getting today. But the federal government with the provinces and territories sort of take on more fully the essential meds. And we recommend that by January 1st, 2022, uh, as well as um, drugs for rare diseases, that that would start at the same time. Those are very expensive drugs often. Um, and then you build the formulary so that not later than January 1st, 2027, it's a fully comprehensive formulary. And so every drug that where there's scientific evidence of its clinical effectiveness and value for money, that drug will end up on the national formulary, on that list of drugs that would be part of Pharmacare. Uh, but we do it in a way where it's um, away from politics. So these are experts making the decision, not politicians, as it often is across Canada today. Um, and we do it in a way where we can benefit from bulk buying, bulk purchasing, bulk negotiation with pharmaceutical companies to um, fairly significantly reduce the price for drugs that we pay for. Okay. Dr. Eric Hoskins, thank you so much for being with us. So thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, people, uh, we're ready to take your calls. What do you think? Is this a good idea, even if perhaps you are covered in some other way? Do you think this is something that we should do, perhaps for your children and grandchildren? Um, or maybe for you, maybe whatever coverage you have doesn't really cover what you need. Maybe you end up having to skimp, as we said, on food and heat. That was the subject of a CARP campaign. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. And right now, I would like to bring in Professor Steve Morgan with the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia. He is the guy who did one of the initial reports on pharmacare. And Laura Tamblin-Watts, the Chief Public Policy Officer at CARP. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Laura, you got a nice mention from Dr. Hoskins. He mentioned CARP's advocacy for pharmacare. Why is it important to your members? We've been very consistent in calling for a single unified payer pharmacare system. We know that many, many older adults, not just our members, but many older adults really struggle to pay for the medications. There's a, there's a misunderstanding. There's a thinking that if you're an older person, you get all your meds for free, which is simply not the case. And we know that older people are making decisions every single day about whether to take their medications or whether to pay for heat or food. We also believe that the bulk buying piece will be critically important. We're pleased to see that our advocacy paid a role. Having said that, there's a long way to go still. Steve Morgan, what's your reaction to this? Yeah, I think the, the report actually is uh, remarkably sound and strategic. It, it reflects, I think, the, the balance of available evidence from the research literature, but also I, I think it reflects uh, well uh, the experiences in other high-income countries that we should look to for lessons about what to do, but also what to avoid. Um, so I think on the balance, this is this it looks like a great report, and and I think um, you know listeners to this show would be pleased to know that this this report appears to view a pharmacare program or pharmacare uh, plan 
as a strategy, a strategy that in, involves not just improving access to medicines, but also improving the appropriateness of prescribing, collecting data about who's being prescribed what treatments, how they're taking them, and most importantly, what the outcomes are for patients. And when you put all that together, uh, this means that this system could move forward in a way that you know, isn't what people call, you know, the proverbial open bar for pharmaceuticals, but in fact, uh, a strategy that, that makes sure that people are, are getting the right drug at the right dose um, and getting it without financial burden. Laura, you mentioned there's a misconception. Uh, we have drug coverage here in Ontario for people over 65. Is the problem that it doesn't cover everything? Yeah, there's a health equity problem across this country. And while it's true that some jurisdictions do better in some things, other jurisdictions don't. And CARP stands for health equity. We don't think that the drug coverage that you get should depend necessarily on your age or your postal code. So we've been very strong in advocating for a single unified payer system. You know, when we think about the efficiencies in the system, it's important to remember that Canada pays the third highest in the world in terms of cost for drugs. We're just not doing it very well. And so I'm not sure that any one system will be perfect, but we certainly are encouraged to see that there's a step in the right direction. Now, what will happen in October? That's another question. Yes, and uh, I'm wondering if either of you have any kind of a, a sense of what might be adopted. I remember back when this interim report was released, the finance minister, Bill Morneau, said, no, 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 we're not going to a blanket universal coverage. I don't know if he was speaking for the government, but uh, Steve, do you have any sense of that? Yeah, you know, so at the outset when they when they announced this council uh, back with budget 2018, the the finance minister did go on. I think it was on the CBC and say, well, you know, you know, talking to Rosie Barton, I think said, you have pharmacare because you work for the CBC, and I have pharmacare because I'm an, I'm a public sector employee being an MP. We don't need that for us. We need something to fill the gaps, and that became the the tagline of one of the approaches. But I think uh, Dr. Hoskins and his council have made clear, and certainly Dr. Hoskins made it very clear at the press conference yesterday that they thoroughly investigated the option of filling the gaps and decided that it made no sense and that their 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 final answer for pharmacare was a cohesive single payer system reasonably well integrated into uh, Canadian Medicare. The Liberal Party of Canada will likely have to campaign on that for a couple of reasons, one of which is, of course, Trudeau did set up this council to do the work on their behalf and to create a sound and strategic plan. The other reason is that the Liberal uh, Party of Canada at their, their sort of pre-election uh, uh, national convention voted a, a resolution that looks very much like the Hoskins Council recommendation as the number one policy resolution from the, the membership of the Liberal Party of Canada. So it looks like the Liberals are going to campaign in all likelihood on the recommendations of Dr. Hoskins and his council members. Um, the NDP have already got this something similar to this in their platform, but with a much more accelerated uh, uh, timeline. And the Conservatives have already come out saying, it's, you know, we're not going to back this because we don't trust government to do anything, which is kind of ironic when you're trying to run to become government. But nevertheless, I, I, think, I think we know where the parties are going to come down uh, come the fall. And do you think this is going to be a big issue for your members, Laura? Oh, it really will. If we look at kind of the top issues that people are looking at, you know, pension security and pharmacare are at the top of the list. We know how difficult it is for people to manage. And we see that the health outcomes by having a proper pharmacare system. Remember, Canada is really behind the rest of the countries. This isn't a new idea. We're just not doing it. 
So for us to kind of come back up to where the rest of the countries will, we'll see that the dollar outcomes in terms of health will actually be ameliorated. So people won't get as sick if they're able to be meds compliant. People won't have as much acute problems if they're able to be managed at an upstream level. So when we're thinking about the cost to the systems, yes, we're thinking about the cost to the individual. Yes, we're thinking about the cost to the federal government. But we also have to remember that meds non-compliance or people not being able to afford their medication leads to huge downflow costs at the provinces too. Okay, uh, Steve Morgan, what would you like to leave us with on this? Uh, I really think uh, that this is is an issue that people need to think very seriously about in the fall election. I really believe that Canadians should vote for Pharmacare, which means, you know, voting for the the party in your riding that that uh, represents a party that has a chance of winning your riding, and that will support this. Um, going back to the the origins of Canadian Medicare, uh, Lester Pearson brought in the Medical Care Act as actually the leader of a, a minority liberal government that was bolstered by NDP as the balance of power. Um, it, if we end up with a minority liberal government with NDP and Green bal- a balance of power, I think we have a very good chance of a, a, a national pharmacare program that is evidence-based. So I, I hope that Canadians get out there and in some sense cast a vote for pharmacare this time. Okay, well, that's a, that's a pretty big political statement. Laura, what would you like to leave us with? We put forward a national platform in October to be utterly transparent about what the issues that CARP members and older Canadians are looking for. And Pharmacare is really at the top of that list. So we, of course, are nonpartisan, but we've made very clear to each of the parties how important Pharmacare is to our members. And we're delighted to see that they've come out not with a fill the gaps approach, but a uniform approach. There's a lot of time between now and October, so we really will have to watch it carefully. Yeah, and we'll have to see what, in fact, turns out to be the ballot question. Thank you so much, Professor Steve Morgan and Laura Tamblin-Watts. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.